Today on the Blue Collar Blueprint Podcast, we're going to be answering a bunch of great questions that you guys have been sending in. I'm going to dedicate an entire episode to answering things like, am I too old to get into the trades? How, should I get my real estate license? How do I know how far to go in my flips? What to do? What not to do? And a whole bunch of other really great core questions that I think you'll find extremely valuable. So we're going to get to all of that and much more today. My name is Jonah Wright, and it's my job to give you the tools that you need in order to build a full and successful life from the ground up and with your own two hands. This is the Blue Collar Blueprint Podcast. Well, hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. As always, great to have you here. Coming to you live from the Shed Quarters as we do. Uh, really looking forward to a sort of a different type of episode today. What we're going to be doing is jumping into the mailbag. Uh, unfortunately, I've been going a little long on my last couple of episodes, and I've been sort of shortchanging you on the mailbag side. And, uh, you know, I, I was getting a little bit behind, and I wanted to answer as many questions as I can. So we're going to dedicate our entire episode today to answering some of these questions, which I think are really, really great, smart questions that get down to the core of the practical nuts and bolts of how to actually live out the blue collar blueprint in your life. So we're going to go and just spend some time uh, getting through these questions. And remember, if you have a question for the mailbag, make sure that you send it over to me at www.bluecollarblueprint.com. You just click on the mailbag tag and then you can send your questions in here. And of course, if I feel like I can add some value, I will answer it on the show. And uh, so this will be kind of fun, something a little bit different, a little bit new, um, you know, may go a little long, may go a little short, but I'll do my best to give you my honest and true answers. So uh, let's go ahead and dive right on into this thing and let's take a look at some of your questions. Okay, so we're going to start off with Taylor and Taylor says, I am 36 years old. Am I too old to get into a trade? Taylor, absolutely not, man. Look, I'm assuming this, uh, you're, you're a dude, but no, here's the thing, right? Um, Certainly 36 years old is older than most guys are when they get into the trades. Typically speaking, most guys who are jumping into the trades are doing so as total newbies, right? They're 18, 19, 20 years old. So that's one thing that you do want to kind of keep in mind is that there's going to be a whole lot of guys who are sort of on the same rung as you, the same experience level as you in terms of the trade, who are going to be in that younger coterie. But I actually think that that might be of value to you being an older, more established adult entering into a new trade, because even though you guys will be at the same sort of level, it's likely that you will have certain life experience, certain job experience, and certain other skills that you may have developed throughout your life up until this point that these guys may not have. And so you'll have a unique opportunity to provide mentorship to these kids and uh, to have an opportunity to sort of learn alongside of them, but also to be a leader uh, with them since you'll sort of be on a peer-to-peer -peer level since you're both entering into the trade new. So that's the first thing. I think there's a great opportunity there for that. Um, another thing to keep in mind is that you know, yes, you're starting late, and yes, it takes a couple of years to do the learn category of the blue collar blueprint. As you know, the show is broken down into this idea of learn so that you can earn, so that you can churn, right? Now, learning is the hardest part of all of it, if you're being totally honest, because you're starting off with nothing, and you've got to develop a skill set that you can then leverage into some solid income, which, as you know, I'm sure, is defined as $1,000 per day. So when you're in the learn category, you it takes time, right? I mean, it takes time to learn how to do something. If you're a drywall guy, it's a solid year of really just sucking at finishing drywall before 
before you finally get a grasp of it enough that you can go out into the world and start, say, running your own crew uh, and doing some of those projects on your own. Really, probably two to three years before you hit that mastery level where you can really take hold and be in a position where you could start your own business um, in the drywall world. And certainly there are different trades that are going to have sort of different feels. Um, you know, if you want to be an electrician, that may take a different length of time because there's a much broader scope of work that you're going to have to be exposed to and then of course in order to start your own business in order to really dive into that earn category where you're really earning the big bucks that you want to learn or that you want to be earning here you know you may have to meet certain minimum time requirements in order to be qualified to get the licensing that you'll need in order to start a business I'm not exactly sure what it is, and I know it's different from state to state and municipality to municipality, but in Florida, I'm pretty sure you have to do like four solid years of uh, of sort of the ground level work uh, in order to build up enough hours to be able to qualify for a master's electrician uh, position. And then, of course, you have to actually know how to do the job. So that stuff takes time. And... I understand that that's a little bit more of a burden when you're older because you feel like, hey, I'm running out of time, but you're 36 years old, man. It's not like you're 100. You know, you, you've got plenty of time to learn this thing. And also keep in mind, the goal isn't to sit there and work forever, right? If you're going to work the Blue Collar Blueprint podcast, your goal is to learn it. That's going to take a couple of years and then you'll start to earn and then you'll start to churn. You'll be able to dive right into those things immediately. And the goal after you've worked out those systems is to ultimately reach financial freedom. And financial freedom is where the churn category where your investments are going to pay for your lifestyle so that you don't have to go out there and be busting butt anymore with your blue collar skills. You can still utilize the skills, you have access to the skills, you have access to that value offering potential, but you're not going to have to rely on it. So in terms of, you know, oh, I'm getting old and my body's going to start getting tired and all of these sort of things, I wouldn't worry too much about that because the goal, if you're going to work the system wisely, is to get yourself out of the field you know, frankly, as quickly as possible, the quickly, the quicker you're able to move through the learn, earn and churn, the faster you're going to be able to get to a position where you're not going to have to be out in the field on the ground doing all of this work. Uh, so, yeah, man, you're definitely not too old. I highly encourage you to do that. Um, keep in mind a handful of things. I don't know what your job experience is now. I don't know if you have a career, if you're leaving that behind. Um, certainly I know how that feels, right? It's scary to walk out of a salaried job that has benefits and a 401k and, you know, they contribute to your health insurance and they pay most of your taxes and all of these sort of things. Remember, I used to be a school teacher, so I know what it feels like to go from being sort of in the secure bubble of the corporate world or of the, the normal white collar world and then moving into something that is much more sort of like... Uh, loosey-goosey when it comes to the way that you get paid or the way that you are st structure your life. A lot of times when you're out in the construction fields, you're not necessarily going to be a standard employee, so they may not offer 401ks, they may not have health benefits and all of these other things. And again, that can be something certainly that you want to think about, particularly when you're a little bit further down the road, you're 36 years old. Uh, but at the end of the day, the goal is to create a an economy around yourself and around your skill set and around the things that you create and that you are investing in so that you're not going to be reliant upon somebody else's 
contributions to your 401k or somebody else's ability to pay your taxes or whatever the case may be. So understand that there's going to be uh, some lifestyle changes if you're coming out of that white collar world, but certainly you're not too old to do it. I would prepare yourself to kind of have a little bit of a culture shock because it will be unusual to you if you're coming from a different kind of uh, world. If you've never been in construction before, it's a unique environment to say the least, but I think that there are some incredible opportunities for somebody in your position like I said, from mentorship to uh, just pure opportunity in the ability to learn something extremely valuable, to get yourself in front of the right kind of people. Um, again, you're going to have a certain level of maturity. You're going to have a certain level of experience in your life that is going to prime you uh, to be able to approach this new career path with alacrity, right? You'll be able to create great relationships with the business owners. You'll have great relationships with customers. Not to say that younger guys can't do any of that stuff, but certainly it's a little bit easier when you're an older, more sort of, you know, inline kind of guy. So by all means, if you feel like this is something that is a good choice for you, go for it, do it. I can't encourage you enough. You're certainly not too old. Give it a shot. I think uh, you, you won't be, you won't be sad about it. All right, so next up, let's go ahead and take a look uh, at Patrick's question. Patrick says, I've been working as an electrician apprentice for about a year. Awesome. Um, I work for a small company doing mostly resi stuff. Meaning, uh, resi means residential, just in case you're not f familiar with the terminology. Residential, like people's homes as opposed to commercial work, like stores and restaurants and things like that. Anyway, he says, I'm paired up with an older guy who has been in the trade forever, but is a total asshole. <laughs> he treats me like crap, he demeans me, and is generally miserable to be around. I don't know what to do. I like this trade, but I'm not sure how long I can deal with this guy. Do you have any advice for somebody in my shoes? Patrick, that is a hard situation to be in, man. Let me just start by saying I'm sorry. Um, it's difficult to, to to address this directly because I don't know the exact circumstances upon which we're talking here, obviously. Um, but I, I feel your pain, okay? Fortunately, when I entered into the construction trades, I had a really great mentorship relationship with the guy who was my lead and who did my training. So I can't speak directly to what it's like to have a garbage guy teaching you day-to-day -day in the trades. I did have a similar kind of experience with a not great relationship with uh, some military leadership that I had back in my Marine Corps days. And uh, that is a very challenging situation to be in because you are stuck with this person. They are, you know, ahead of you. They're responsible for teaching you. And when they're just miserable dickheads who are mean and who aren't, you know, fostering a, an environment in which you can learn and who, who, you know, aren't sort of like shepherding you into where you want to be, which is to learn, right? You're probably in that learn category. You said you've been in the trade for about a year so you know you're new to the game and you're hungry and you're ready to go out there you want to work the blue collar blueprint and get to the urn and the churn and all that stuff and that's all fantastic but this guy seems like he's just kind of like pissing on your parade right he's not out there helping you out so i feel that pain and that totally sucks so i guess you know when i was reflecting on your question there's a couple of things that i thought of the first thing is that Unfortunately, there is a this is not an unusual thing to have happen in the construction world. And if you're somebody who, you know, like our last questioner, right, somebody who's considering getting into the construction world, unfortunately, this is something that is more common than it ought to be. There's a lot of guys who have been in the trade for a long time who are sort of disgruntled and they've got this sort of old school douchebag mentality um, and it sucks, right? I mean, that's that's the first thing is that the, the culturally it is just 
a, a bummer to be around these kind of people, but they do exist. And unfortunately that, you know, you, you have a good chance of running into some of these people, especially when you're new, when you're getting started in the trades, because somebody's, they're going to hook you up with somebody who allegedly knows what they're doing. And a lot of times that guy might be a total douchebag. Um, so, you know, recognize that, that, sort of like entry level position is going to last for a couple of years and if you're in that situation you just have to sort of accept it for what it is and get through that learn so the first thing that I would suggest is that while this guy is probably a total asshole I take your your word for that understand that he probably knows what he's doing inside and out even douchebags are really good at their job sometimes, right? So hopefully he's at least an excellent electrician uh, that you can learn from and that you can pick up tricks from. You can also learn how not to treat people, right? Because someday in a not very distant future, you've been into it for a year. I mean, you got maybe one, two more years to go before you're really in that position of knowing what's going on, um, where you'll be able to start, you know, becoming a lead yourself and then moving into uh, different licensing opportunities and starting your own business and doing all these kind of things which is an exciting and wonderful time to be in take this opportunity to think about how this guy is treating you and the things that aren't working and throw them out right make sure that you when you are in the situation to be mentoring young people that you are doing it in a way that is helpful and that is nurturing and that is encouraging to these people not being soft not being a you know not being a sissy not not like babying them and holding their hand but teaching them in a way that will actually show them how to become good at their trade so that's one thing that you can take away from this how not to treat people um, but that said, you're with this guy. If you're stuck with him, learn as much as you can and do everything that you can to actually respect him, right? Treat him with respect. Now, that can be a really difficult thing when the guy is a total douchebag. Like I said, I, I had a similar kind of situation. I had a guy who just freaking hated my guts. I don't know why. I'm not... To this day, I still like don't really understand what his deal was with me specifically, and you know it wasn't just me. He was a dickhead to pretty much everybody, uh, but it, you know it, it really kind of like got into my craw because I was a hard worker and I was a good marine and I did all the things I was supposed to do, but I never got the, you know, sort of the uh, respect that I felt like I was due doing what I was doing at the time. And so I understand what it feels like to be there. But what I guess I would say is try to still be respectful to him. Swallow that pride. Recognize that you are on, you know, you're lower on the scale than he is. He is due a certain amount of respect and he has a lot to teach you. So try to learn as much as you can, even in the midst of the difficulty that you're presented with, with his attitude. Um, now, that said, you also don't want to be, you, know, you don't want to be a pushover, right? So if there is a... You, you need to know what your line is. So if this guy is really crossing the line or if he's demeaning you in public or there's something like that, I would suggest that you might want to consider figuring out a way to respectfully approach him and say, hey, this is not the way that you treat me. I'm a grown man. I appreciate that you know you're I'm your subordinate, that I'm learning from you, but that's not the way that you treat me, okay? And, and try to stand up to him a little bit. Do it respectfully, do it with honor, do it in a way that a subordinate has to sometimes stand up to somebody who's above them. Um, so make sure that you're doing it in a tactful way, I guess is the best way to say it. And you might find that if you sort of stand up to the guy and say, look, we don't do this. This isn't the way that we do business. I'm here to learn. I want to work hard. Your job is to show me how to do that. What you're doing isn't helping me out. Maybe he doesn't know that he's as big of an asshole as he, as you, you are telling me that he is, right? So maybe that will just click something in his head and that could change something. 
On the other side, he may just look at you like you're a man if you stand up to him like a man in a respectful and tactful and appropriate way. So think and consider like how can you do that? Now, of course, some people just cannot be dealt with, and that's an unfortunate thing. If that's the case, then maybe you can talk to you know his boss and say, hey, is there any way that we can get switched over to another guy? Or if that won't work, or if that's not an option for you, maybe you should start looking into some other companies. <clears throat> I would be real careful about jumping onto that sort of like going and like running off to the boss man uh, or, you know, ditching and going off to another company, doing that too soon. I think that some people can really be served in a way to deal with some of these hardships sometimes. It can make you a little bit more, you know, it can refine your character by fire sometimes to put up with the bull crap and just say, you know what, I don't care how you're treating me, I'm here to work, and that makes you just work harder, right? <clears throat> and you're stashing away, I'm not going to treat people like this, you're learning how not to act towards people. Uh, but sometimes it's good, you know, sometimes it's okay to go through these periods of time. I know a year feels like a long time when you're in the year, but in 10 more years, when you look back and you think about this one or two years that you spent with this guy, you may find that you actually appreciate a lot of the stuff that he did for you. So, you know, maybe just ask your future self, hey, what am I gaining from this opportunity right now? Can I improve my character? What can I really learn? Can I build on this guy's experience? Can I stand up to him and, and just become a little bit more of a man myself and confront this guy a little bit maybe y'all gain some of his respect also you can ask your 10 year old your 10 year away from now self right like your future self you can say hey does that guy work for me now because there's a good chance that that guy's probably still going to be working in the same position that he's working in right now if he's been in the trade forever and he's still just you know kind of farting around working for somebody else he's probably going to be doing that for the rest of his life you're not going to do that because you're a blue collar blueprint guy right so one of these days you're going to be the boss man you're going to be calling the shots and uh people like that are going to work for you so if that makes you feel any better you know you can kind of keep that in the back of your mind too but it's an unfortunate thing um yeah, it's. I wish I knew a little bit better about you, you and your specific situation. But make sure that you're not being too soft, because sometimes it's easy to like get your feelings hurt. I'm one of these people, right? I'm a I'm a sensitive kind of guy, believe it or not. And so you know when people rub me the wrong way, sometimes it really like sticks in my craw, and it can be hard for me to get over it. But I've learned that the best thing you can do is just swallow your pride sometime and try to move forward in a way uh, that's that's respectful and honorable. And that's what I would encourage you to do. I hope that helps, man. That's a that's a crappy situation to be in. All right, uh, next up, Chris says, I'm about to enter my senior year in high school, and I'm planning on working in the construction trades when I graduate. But I also want to get into real estate as soon as I can. What are the best things I can do to prepare for all of that? So first off, Chris, awesome, dude. Um, let, let me say, too, you're going into your senior year of high school. It's a great year. Make sure you take advantage of it. Um, have fun spend time with your friends. I know everybody's probably told you this, but a lot of these guys who you are like super great friends with probably right now in high school, um, those relationships will start to sort of fade off a little bit. And that's a sad kind of thing to think about, but I would encourage you to spend as much time with your buddies as you can, have fun, you know, be smart, don't be an idiot, don't be out partying and all that kind of thing, but go do all this stuff, you know, go to the class parties and go to all of the things that come along with being a senior in high school. That's a cool thing. Also take your high school seriously. Learn how to do all of the stuff that you're supposed to be doing in your class. Don't skip school. Don't be a moron. Graduate. Learn what you got to learn. Um, I know that it may not sound 
super consistent with the show, but you know, if you're in an English class, make sure you do the reading, learn how to read, learn how to write, learn how to think, uh, go to math, learn how to do all that stuff. You'll be shocked at how much math you will be using in the construction trades. So make sure that you're learning all that stuff. Um, you know, and be out there, just take your senior year of high school seriously, I guess is what I'm ultimately trying to say. It's the, uh, the teacher in me still coming out. <laughs> uh, so here, here's the few things that I can give you on a practical level from now moving on. Number one is if you don't have a job, you should get one. Okay. Um, you don't have to work like a crazy amount of time. You can certainly, if you want to, I lived, well, I felt like I lived the crap out of my whole high school experience. I did all kinds of extracurricular stuff. I was having a great time hanging out with my buddies. I was going to school full time, doing really well in school, but I also worked full time too. Uh, you're young, you got a lot of energy, you've got the time, you, you know, you can stash away a bunch of money. You're probably still living with your mom and your dad, which is great, which means you can throw all that money into a big fat pile, and it makes life a lot easier when you graduate from high school with a chunk of change that you can use. In my case, I had enough money saved up over the course of my work experience that I bought my first house like just a couple of months after I graduated high school. If you're in a situation to do that, you should. That would be really smart. Um, why do I think you should get a job? It's not just so that you can build up some money. It's not so that you can go buy a new truck or you know go on a cool vacation or any of that kind of stuff, which you can certainly do some of that. You know, Do it wisely. Uh, but the first reason is because you want to be in a situation where you have a work history as quickly as possible if you want to buy a house, which you want to do. You want to buy a house as soon as humanly possible. So you should be thinking about that right now. What can you be doing right now to be working towards buying your first house? Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a flip. It doesn't have to be a rental property. This can just be a house for you. And it doesn't even have to be a house, by the way. It can be a mobile home. It can be a condo. Uh, oftentimes, both of those properties can be a lot less expensive and a lot more manageable. Sometimes people are like, oh, houses around me are half a million dollars. I can't qualify for that. I totally understand that. Even if houses around you are five hundred, six hundred thousand dollars, um, you can work towards that over the course of time. But you'll be surprised that you might be able to get into a condo, one bedroom, a condo for you know one fifty, two hundred thousand dollars in a market that's similar to that. Or you can buy a land-owned mobile home uh, for significantly less. I know in my particular area, it's not unusual to see most kind of normal houses for four, five, six hundred thousand dollars. But you can buy like a thousand square foot, one bedroom land owned uh, mobile home, which means that you don't have to rent the land. You actually own the dirt and the mobile home that sits on top of it for like $120,000. And you can definitely manage that. Um, so anyway, the, the point is you want to be getting into a situation where you're moving towards buying your first house so that you can jump into the real estate game as early as possible. Um, the reason that you should have a job is because when you go to a bank to get a mortgage, they're going to look to see whether or not you have work history. And virtually all banks are going to want to see a minimum of two years of work history, um, which means that you have to file taxes for two full years with pay stubs backing up through that period of time. So if you never had a job before, you can get one right now. You can work that through your senior year, and then you can work one year after, and then you have your two years of work history in place which is a really valuable and important thing to have uh, in order to get a mortgage. It's really important. The second thing that you should be doing is working on your credit. You got to get yourself great credit uh, and you got to establish some credit right away. 
for people who don't have credit, which is probably the situation that you're in right now, you can approach your bank. If you don't have a bank account, you need to go open one and you can open it anywhere that's convenient. You can go to a big place like a Bank of America or Wells Fargo, or you can go to your local small bank or where your mom and dad bank or whatever you want to do. It doesn't really matter because you're not going to need anything special. You need a checking account and then you need to get yourself a credit card. Uh, now look, credit cards are really dangerous and a lot of young people use them like total morons. So obviously, don't be a moron and utilize your credit cards wisely so that you can build a solid credit. Um, now you can talk to your bank, you can ask them what they'll be willing to do for you. They'll probably offer you what's known as a secured credit card, which means that you'll actually have to give them money and then they will give you a card that's attached to that money. So if you give them 500 bucks, they'll give you a card, a, a credit card that has a $500 limit. And basically they're going to hold on to the cash in case you don't pay your card back. It's called a secured card. And now this is a lot of people's first credit cards and it sounds kind of silly because you have to have the cash, but it's a way of proving to the bank that you will use the card and that you'll pay it back the way that you agreed, which is ultimately what a credit score is, how it works and what it's all about. You're just establishing a relationship with a bank and showing them that you are the kind of person who does what you say. If you say, I'm going to pay this minimum payment, you pay it on time every single month, never missing a payment, never coming in underneath uh, you know, of what they're asking, all that kind of thing. Um, what I would advise you to do is to get this card as soon as possible, like when this episode is over, go down to the bank and get yourself one. Um, and whether they give you a secured card or an unsecured card doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if they give you a $200 balance or a $5,000 or a $20,000 balance. doesn't really matter. Once you have the card, here's what I would suggest you do. Swipe that card every time you do something that you have to do on a regular basis anyway, like pay for gas or pay for your car insurance or buy groceries or take your girlfriend out to the movies or whatever kinds of things that you do all the time anyway. Um, this is not money that you're going to be swiping uh, to go buy yourself, you know, some the new, you know, the new sneakers that were 400 bucks that you wanted or something like that. This isn't like special money stuff. This is stuff that you're already buying all the time anyway. And what you want to do is say you're going to do it with gas. You swipe that card every single time you fill up your gas tank. And then at the end of the month, you look at your entire bill that you have for all the gas that you bought. And then you pay the entire thing all the way back down to zero every single month. Why do you want to do this? Number one, it's going to get you into the habit of paying bills. Bills happen every month all the time for the rest of your life. It's a part of life, dude. Get used to it now, okay? Uh, number two is because what you'll be doing at this point is showing the bank that if you offer me credit, I'm gonna A, use the credit, which they want you to do, by the way, because this is how they make money. So you're gonna use the credit, you go get gas once a week, once every couple weeks, whatever, and then you're showing them that you pay it back on time and you pay it back in full. It shows them that you are a trustworthy borrower. And what will happen is after you've done this for a handful of months, eventually they will raise up your credit limit higher than the amount of money that they have on file. Um, once you've done that, let's say you've had this card and you start to get a little bit of experience with this card, say five, six months in, come Christmas time, you know, in the middle of the semester, go to a different bank and ask them for a credit card and see what they have to offer you. And by the end of your senior year, maybe you'll have two or three of these small credit cards, probably not going to be a lot of money, but you'll be in the process of establishing a solid credit history. So maybe one card is your gas card, you build it up, you pay it off every month. The other thing, by the way, is if you pay it back down to zero every single month, you don't have to pay any interest on that. So you're not 
adding anything to your bills. You're paying just the solid number every single time. So maybe one card is your gas card. You use that for a few months. You establish a little credit. You go to another bank a few months down the road. You get another credit card from them. Maybe they'll give you a secured card, maybe an unsecured card, doesn't matter. Then you're going to buy groceries on that card. You're going to buy whatever stuff you got to buy. And you do the same thing with both cards. You swipe them, you pay them off every single month, and then you can do that. And you'll start to establish a solid credit score very quickly. Do not be a moron. Remember, this isn't just free money. This is money that you have to pay back, and you need to pay it back in full every single month, no matter what. So make sure that you're working on your credit. Um, and that's the way that I would suggest that you do it. Get a credit card spend money on it and then pay it back every single month get yourself a good score then you'll be able to have your two years of work experience under your belt and you'll also have a, you know a solid credit score you'll prove to the banks that you're the kind of person who will pay your cards back and then after a couple years of experience then you'll be able to go to down there and say okay now I've had a couple credit cards I've done this I've done that I've been working I have a little bit of money saved up I would like to buy a house and then you can start presenting you know what kind of stuff do you need to do in order to buy a house what can you afford all of those sort of things so that'll be really great and if you jump into construction right after you get out of high school you're going to start earning some pretty darn good money right away which is excellent so make sure that you're leaving well within your means you can continue living with your mom and your dad if you have to you can you know rent a room out from some buddies you guys can rent a house all of those sort of things that'll be great and then you can buy a house and then rent your rooms out to your friends and start cash flowing on property that way or maybe you buy a duplex or maybe you do all kinds of different other strategies that we've talked about on the show so certainly get yourself into a situation where you're starting to work and work and work and uh, get into a position where you can buy that house as soon as possible. Uh, the next thing that I would suggest that you do is, you know, look, man, you're still a kid, right? So you, your mom and dad's still going to give you some Christmas presents. You got birthdays coming up um, and that kind of thing. What I would suggest that you do is start asking for tools. Collecting tools like good, high-quality tools as soon as possible is a really wise way to sort of get yourself on the right foot in the construction world. You're going to need some basic tools no matter what kind of trade you ultimately end up getting into. You want to go into drywall, carpentry, electrician, HVAC, I don't care what you do, flooring, doesn't matter. You're going to need certain tools and you want to have good ones. Battery powered stuff is phenomenal these days. I would suggest that you either go with like a DeWalt or a Makita or a Milwaukee. Um, even Rigid is pretty darn good these days. So choose what kind of tool you want to start collecting. Get yourself some good batteries. Get yourself some chargers. Get an impact drill. Get a hammer drill. Get a saw. Get a multi-tool. Um, those are like great things that you can be asking you know, Santa for for Christmas and that kind of thing. So if you start collecting up tools like that, you'll be in a good shape shape a good socket set you know I mean you know what I mean we'll, we'll do another section on this and I'll break down a little bit more about the sort of essential core tools that you're gonna want but that would probably be something that I would uh, suggest that you do so uh, anyway Chris man have a great senior year keep your nose to the grindstone work hard but make sure you're having fun too. be smart about it but have have some fun while you're out there and uh, have a great senior year all right, next up is from a lady listener, and Jessica. Jessica says, I've been thinking about getting my real estate license. Do you think this is a good idea for a new investor? Yes, I definitely do. Now, this is a somewhat controversial thing because not everybody agrees with this, but I definitely think getting your real estate license is extremely helpful to anybody who is a real estate investor. Why? Well, first off, real estate uh, agents are expensive, right? I mean, when you sell a piece of property, and a lot of people may not know this, but when you sell a piece of property, the seller is responsible for paying not only for their real estate agents 
fee, which is usually 3%, but they also have to pay for the person who's buying the house's fee, which is another 3%. So that's 6% in real estate realtor fees right off the top every single time that you buy a house. So if you're going to be buying and selling houses a lot of time, every time you're on the sales side, you're going to be giving away 6% of that profit. So if you sell it for $100,000, that's six grand right off the top just for real estate agents. If you are one of the real estate agents, that 6% can get cut in half immediately and you only have to pay 3% because you only have to pay for the other side, the, the buyer's agent. And you can act as your own agent and save that 3%. If you're doing four or five deals a year, and by the way, most houses aren't 100 grand anymore, right? They might be three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars a pop. So if you're doing multiples of these a year, these can be like tens of thousands of extra dollars that you can keep in your control as opposed to paying it to somebody else. Now, understand that there are plenty of real estate investors out there who do very, very well and are not agents, right? They don't bother with that part. They, they find it to be clunky or they don't want to deal with it or whatever. And that's fine. That's understandable. But as far as I'm concerned, being a real estate agent is a great way to throw a couple of extra bucks in your pocket uh, when you are an investor. Now, there's some other benefits that come along with it, too. First off, uh, you get to stay in total control of the deal. When you are selling a piece of property or you're buying it, you're going to have direct conversation with the people who are on the other side of the project so you'll know exactly what's going on you'll know the status you'll know how quickly things are going you'll know how everybody's feeling and what needs to be done if just to me i like having as much control over my deals as possible from day one all the way to the moment that we sell them and so uh, for that reason i like being an agent i don't have to deal with you know filtering that information between myself and somebody else i just get the information directly and i find that to be very valuable um the next thing that's great about being a real estate agent is that you have now access to be able to go and look at properties without having to call somebody else in to let you into the property, right? Most of the time, especially if a property is vacant, you can just click a single button and you'll get a lockbox code or they'll give you this, you know, the Supra electronic lockbox. You can just go up there and let yourself in. So I have bought many houses by simply driving around, looking over and seeing a for sale sign and thinking, hmm, I wonder what the deal is with that. I look it up on my MLS app. I go click. Let me go take a look. I pop in literally just on a whim. I go in there, make an offer. I write my own offers. Everything is great. I don't have to deal with the, the time restraints or any of this kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> the other night, my wife and I, literally, it's 1130 at night, midnight, and uh, we saw a deal pop up on our phone, and we were like, whoa, this is a great deal in a neighborhood that we like. It was a price that was like unbelievable, and we were like, let's write an offer right now. We were the very first offers in. Didn't end up winning the deal because the agent on the other side is a bit of a moron, but that's another story. Bottom line is, I, you know, time is of the essence a lot of times when you're doing real estate deals. So if you're the guy who's writing the contract and handling the entire transaction, it can go a lot smoother for that reason. Um, the, another thing that's a really huge benefit to being a real estate agent is that you have access to all the legal documents that are sort of in the realtor trade in your state. In the state of Florida, we have all these what we call FAR bar, which is the Florida um, the Florida Bar Association's approved documents. So they send us all that stuff and we have access to all the nice contracts that have everything buttoned out and spelled out nicely. So everybody on all sides of the transaction are protected. You can have leases, you can have lease options and seller agreements and all kinds of different addenda and all kinds of other 
access to resources that I find to be extremely valuable because I'm not a lawyer and I'm not good at writing contracts. So instead of having to pay somebody else to do it for me, as a real estate agent, I have access to all of those pre-made documents that are made specifically for real estate transactions in my state. And I like that as well. Um, and then of course, the other thing is you can make a little bit of side money. I make probably like $20,000 a year on top of everything else that I do simply because I happen to know people who know that I'm in real estate. They call me up and they go, Hey Jonah, you want to sell my house? Or Hey Jonah, I'm looking to buy a house. You want to, can you, can I go look at this place? Yeah, sure. I'll go pop over there with you. You know, um, I, I, I'm not like a real estate agent in the traditional sense. This isn't my regular job. This is not how I make a living. But I do make, you know, like I said, about 20 grand a year just by simply writing contracts for people or listing a house occasionally and just taking whatever kind of falls into my lap. I don't work on it. I don't, you know, I don't advertise. I don't go out there and try and scream from the rooftops or anything like that. But when deals come, I take them. I do the work that's necessary and I earn good commissions. Again, roughly 20 grand a year, which is pretty nice uh, little side money, especially when you're getting started. So yeah, the bottom line is definitely, I highly recommend getting uh, your real estate license. It's a relatively easy license to get, right? The tests are pretty simple. You'll learn a lot of great knowledge. You're going to have good relationships with people. It'll put you in front of financing people. It'll put you in all kinds of good places that will help you sort of push in the direction of creating better investments for your uh, for your future. So I think that's awesome. Definitely go out there and get your license. All right, next up, Mark says, when you're doing a flip or a remodel, where do you draw the line between doing too much and not doing enough? I have my first deal under contract and I have a budget in place, but I'm worried that I'll miss the mark by either over improving the property or not doing enough. How do you handle this situation? Great question, Mark. And look, dude, this is one of those things that is, um, it's, you know, every agent is, or every agent, every real estate investor is going to approach this a little differently. And so uh, here's, here's the way that I do it. The first thing that I do is I am the kind of guy who would rather lose a little money by doing more than is required than to try to get away with not doing something that I may or may not have should have done. Does that make sense? I'd rather do a little extra than a little less. Um, if I'm selling a house to somebody, I recognize that a lot of times these houses are going to be people's homes, right? These are huge investments for people. We're real estate investors, right? So we go out into the world and we buy houses and we sell them all the time. We fix them up. We don't care if they're in bad condition. That's our job, right? We fix places up. We buy houses. We sell them. Most people are not in this situation, right? Most people who are buying a house are buying the most expensive thing they are ever going to buy in their entire life, and they will make it their home. They live there with their wife and their family, right? They've raised their children here. And it's really important to me as an investor and as a just a human being and a contractor and a person who has pride in my work and myself and who, you know, recognizes that I've got the big man upstairs watching out about what I'm doing. I want to make sure that I'm doing the best job that I possibly can on every deal that I do. So I probably fall more into the category of over-improving things um, than underdoing it. This has not always been the case, right? When I got started, I used to try to cheapskate everything. And to this day, I am like plagued with guilt about some of the projects that I did back then. Not because I did anything necessarily wrong, but there were certainly times when I knew that I should have done something and then I just decided not to do it because I thought it would cost too much money or it was going to be too hard or I didn't know what to do or whatever. And I'm ashamed and I'm embarrassed of that. So I would encourage you to Take it upon yourself to make sure that you're doing an excellent job on everything that you put your hands on. Don't try to like skate away with getting away with stuff. 
Now, with all of that said, it is certainly easy to put too much money into certain kinds of property. And that's really where it's super important to know your comps. What are comps? Well, presumably you did the math when you went out to buy this piece of property that you've got under uh, contract here, and that's a great thing. Those comps are the kind of property that you're trying to make your house like, right? So you, hopefully you found four or five houses in that neighborhood that are similar size, have a similar number of bedrooms and bathrooms, uh, you know, and all that kind of thing. And you were looking at those properties, trying to figure out what do I have to do to my property in order to get it up to that level. So if I'm looking around and I see that, wait a second, none of these places have new bathrooms. Okay, well maybe I don't need to do a bathroom. Let me assess what I've got here. Okay, well this bathroom is in you know similar condition to these other ones who are at the price where I'm aiming for, my ARV, my after repair value. If that's the case, you can leave it be. Maybe you're looking through and you say like, wow, all of these, every single one of these comps who are at the price point that I'm trying to get to, they all have brand new kitchens. You know, all of the, the countertops are, uh, you know, some really nice hard, granite surface or a quartz surface or something like that they've got a nice backsplash they've got an all whatever kind of look they have all of these kind of questions you want to be comping your your stuff and trying to figure out what did they do in order to make their house worth that so you can do those same things to your house um so yeah i mean i i think just having a control having a good feel about where you're trying to go with the property is important when I got started investing in real estate, I was buying like really low end properties that were going to sell also on the low end of my market at the time. So I was buying in like not the greatest area and then I was selling them in the same place, not the greatest area. They were just fixed up and much nicer when I got done with them. Even though I, like I said earlier, I did a bunch of stuff that I wish I hadn't done um, or I didn't do things that I wish I had done at this point. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, if you're, there there are certain things that you need to do to reach a certain level. So if you're in a nice neighborhood, you got to make sure that you are meeting the, the level of nicest that's required. If you're in a not as nice neighborhood, sometimes all you need is for it to be clean and functional. Sometimes that's what you need to do in order to get it into the sweet spot where you want your property to be. It always kind of makes me laugh when I walk into a house that's in a not great area, but they have like all of the top end stuff inside. And I think like, does this guy imagine that this is going to dramatically increase the value of its house? Now, look, it's not going to hurt the value of the house, but he probably over improved it because he put too much work into it. And again, that's just because he's maybe not aware of what the comps are. Another thing that I would think about when approaching this question is understand that real estate in the real world does not work the way that real estate works on HGTV. Okay. On HGTV, they look at a house and they go, if I do a new kitchen, it's going to improve the value by $25,000. Or if I put this appliance package in, it's going to raise the value by $3,000. That's nonsense. Okay. That just is not true. But what, what increases the value of a piece of property is the entire house. It's not just one section of the house. If that makes sense. So you're not going to be able to like do some direct math problem where you go like, ah, yes, if I do these cabinets it's automatically going to increase the, no, that's not the way that it works. Also, some people make this decision that like, oh, if I invest $50,000, it's automatically going to increase the value by $50,000. That's also not true. Okay. What increases the value is when you make the house the same as other houses in the neighborhood, comparable properties, when you make it into a comparable, when you put it into that class, right? You have to get the entire house up to the same level that the other houses are in. So really the, the answer to your question is make sure that you know 
the, the comps, what is expected from properties in your area. If you look around and you see that everybody has white shaker style cabinets, that's probably what you want to do. If you look around and you see that all the ARV comps that you've been looking at have hurricane windows, make sure you put those in. If you look around and see that every garage floor has the, uh, you know, the, the nice little speckle epoxy and all that kind of stuff, maybe you ought to think about putting those in. If they don't have those things, then maybe you don't need to do them, right? So <laughs> I feel a little bad because I'm not directly answering your question, but make sure that you're comping your stuff and getting after it. Uh, so I hope that kind of helps you out a little bit. So guys, I hope that was a helpful uh, segment to you. I know I've gotten behind a little bit. I kind of been shortchanging us on the mailbag section. So hopefully uh, we've been able to catch up a little bit here and that you learned a little something from the questions that we had. I appreciate all of you guys out there and I hope that I was able to answer your question directly and maybe give you something to think about, give you some food to thought. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and wrap that up for now. Real quick, I just wanted to jump in and just touch base about our blue collar journey so we can uh, just kind of stay in touch about what's going on in my life. Because remember, I'm right there in the trenches with you. I'm still working the blue collar blueprint in my life. And I uh, just wanted to catch you up on a couple things. Uh, the first thing we did this week, we were really getting into trying to make sure that we have the right contractors in place for our property that's up in North Carolina. I mentioned this on our last episode. We've got a property up there and we're going to be building some small cabins on. Uh, we're getting all of the septics and all that kind of stuff in, in motion and we're working right now on getting the right contractor in place to make sure that these things get built in a timely manner for a good price and all of these kind of things. So that's been fun and uh, hopefully we'll find somebody for sure. We've got somebody who we really think is going to work got a little bit more negotiating to do, a little bit more information we'll need, but we think we're on the right track for that, which has been very exciting. Um, in other news, we are, speaking of drain lines, like I was just telling you about, uh, we are working on getting the drain lines scoped out right now to have them cut out of one of my current projects. Literally going to saw a trench out of the foundation of the entire house to pull out the bad cast iron, put in new stuff, and uh, make sure that that thing is going to be in tip-top shape this particular neighborhood is going to be it's almost impossible to over improve in this neighborhood it's a higher-end neighborhood it's going to be a very high-end price even in this neighborhood so we're really going to do a lot basically everything that we can it's got a brand new air conditioning system that just went in there it's going to have brand new drain lines brand new water lines brand new everything from top to bottom largely going to rewire the whole thing lots of drywall work brand new kitchen brand new baths floors trim doors i mean you name it landscaping the whole nine yards this place is going to be freaking awesome when we're done so uh, make sure you're checking us out on instagram so you can see that as it develops i'll be throwing some information up on there about that as we go but uh, that's exciting we're in the 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 trenches literally right now <laughs> getting the concrete cut out and that's going to be cool and then the other thing that was really fun that we did this week is I was building some custom furniture uh, for our vacation rental that we're about to get online here in the next few weeks. Um, one of the things that I really like to do is when I'm doing any project, I like to try to keep the character of that of that house as much intact as I can. Now, this particular house was a freaking wreck. It was really in terrible shape. It was ugly. It was dated, and all the systems had to be replaced. I mean, the whole thing was a big, 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 big project. Um, but what I did is I was, as I was demolo demolishing the house, I was taking everything apart. I was taking off the old sort of shutters and I'm looking at them. I'm going, no, oh, I wonder if I could do something with this. So I pulled the shutters aside. I held on to them and I had an idea that maybe I could build the dining room table out of these shutters. So I actually built a custom table 
uh, with these shutters and, and again I'll have to throw a picture up for you so you can check those out but I'm really happy with how it turned out it's pretty darn cool it's a unique table nobody has anything like this um, certainly not not exactly the way that I've got it you can't just go to rooms to go and pick one of these up so I like to have a little something from the house you know it, it just contributes to the character of that project and it just makes makes it kind of come together and just feel like a real awesome place to be so again uh, that's been that's been a lot of fun and then of course uh, we on that same project we've got the landscaping that'll be happening tomorrow actually which is very exciting so we'll have the plants going in get the mulch beds set up it's really going to look nice unbelievable what difference a little bit of landscaping makes you know like a thousand bucks fifteen hundred bucks you know twenty thirty plants going into the ground fresh mulch Whew, man it can make such a big difference so I can't wait to see this thing uh, you know this project is finally coming up to an end so I'm excited to, to check that out so again check out the Instagram uh, at blue collar blueprint you can see some pictures of what we're doing over there so so anyway guys I hope that this episode served you I hope that you learned a little something and I hope that you can take it and run with it in your own life. Remember, nothing that we talk about on this show is of any value unless you take it and apply it to your life. If you wouldn't mind, again, as I always ask, if I'm providing any value to you, please do me a favor and like, subscribe, leave a comment wherever you're consuming this podcast, whether it's on YouTube or Spotify or iTunes anywhere that you're listening or watching to this show. If you don't mind, throw me a little bit of love. It really does help move the, the podcast up the algorithm so we can start to get more listeners and we can continue to grow this thing. I can't do it without your help. So if you don't mind hooking me up, I would really appreciate it. Uh, but for that, guys, we'll leave you there for today. As always, thanks for being here. I'll see you next week. Get out there and get some work done. Semper Fix. Mm-hmm.